Let us open our Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's take a moment and pray together. Father, thank you for your mercy and your love and your kindness and for this opportunity to meditate, study, worship you in the word. Please help us as we consider these passages that your spirit would guide us and that we would grow. I pray for anyone here that does not know Jesus as their Savior, that even this day, even uh, during this hour, you might open their eyes to see their need and your provision, and that they would be gloriously saved for your glory and their good. In Jesus' name, amen. The <clears throat> story has been told about Queen Victoria of England that when she had opportunity to testify, um, you know, to give thanks for something, she often would say that she was thankful for the letter M. And of course, that kind of mind starts to swirl a little bit. What do you mean, the letter M? But she would answer that question by following it with this text that we're going to read to open our time of worship in the Word. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 beginning in verse 26. God's word says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise, according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Now, we're going to read more, but just for the sake of Queen Victoria, at least the story about her. Um, if that said any, then she'd have been on the outside looking in because she was of noble birth. If that said any, maybe you would be on the outside looking in because maybe you're strong. Um, if that said any, maybe you would be on the outside looking in because maybe you are wise from the standpoint of the world. But it doesn't say any. It says many. The reality of what we believe because of God's word is that our boast is not in ourselves. Our boast is not in our might, our intellect, our wisdom. It is not in our Background. It's not in our experiences. Our boast is solely in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. This passage continues in verse 27. But God chose what is foolish in the world uh, to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written let the one who boasts will you read it with me 
Boast in the Lord. Boast in the Lord. Boast in the Lord. That is our call this morning. To boast in the Lord. Our only boast is in the Lord. Head over to the book of Galatians, please. Galatians chapter 6. The book of Galatians ends with a familiar theme. The beginning of 1 Corinthians is very similar to the end of the book of Galatians. And Galatians ends on a familiar theme. Our boast is in God, in Jesus Christ, in the gospel, or as he uses the phrase here as shorthand, in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. During the course of our study this morning, we will outline four reasons, four reasons why we only boast in the gospel. The first reason that we only boast in the gospel is that the flesh profits nothing. The flesh profits nothing. This harkens back to our study last week. Look, beginning at verse 12. It says, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. For neither, verse 15 now, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. In other words, fleshly endeavors don't count for anything. Including, including our desire to keep the commandments of God. They don't count for righteousness. That is clear in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16. The deeds of the law make no man or no flesh justified. Right? Isaiah 64, 6. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags before God. The book of Philippians chapter 3 speaks about the fact that, that um, all of his works, all of his righteousnesses were as dung before God. Truly, we must understand, we know this verse, we know the verse, it needs to be drilled into our, our inner man. In John 6, in verse 63, Jesus said, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help. What does it say? The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Jesus said, Your flesh will never make you justified. My flesh will never make me acceptable to God. Paul reiterated this concept in Philippians 3. I mentioned one portion of it. It is not about your birthright. It's not about your nobility, your religion, your steadfast endurance. It is about Jesus Christ. Those who have embraced the gospel, listen carefully, those who have embraced the gospel are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God 
and glory in Christ Jesus. And listen, read the rest of it with me. Ready? And put no confidence in the flesh. These are definitive statements. God does not leave us with a mystery. The flesh is of no help at all. We put no confidence in the flesh. In the book of Colossians, right at the end of chapter 2, there's this series of statements. He says this in verse 20 and following. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as though you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring all or two things that all perish as they're used. Why do you do this according to human precepts and teachings? These indeed uh, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom, an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But what does it say now? Read the rest of it with me. Ready? But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Paul, with this statement here at the end of Galatians 6, is reiterating what he's been reiterating from the beginning of this letter, that the flesh profits nothing. By the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified. That we have nothing to glory in when it comes to our own being. Whether it be our intellect, our strong emotional composition, our financial backing, nothing matters regarding our standing before God except, except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why it, the cross, and the God of the cross, both the one who sent him and the God who willingly surrendered to the cross, and the God who carried him along, strengthening him step by step through that process. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We glory in the cross of Jesus Christ. Why is our only boast in the gospel? First of all, because the flesh profits nothing. Secondly, because the gospel changes what influences us. The gospel changes what influences us. Look please at verse 14 again. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Boasting only in the cross, the cross makes the world dead to me and me dead to the world. All right, let's talk about that for a few minutes. Take a look, please, at Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. The gospel changes what influences us. As I was trying to think of a really good illustration for this, I was thinking about things that make you numb. And I don't mean numb in the brain. That's watching TV or YouTube. And many times Facebook. So I came up with this one. Have you ever been outside in the winter? You live in New England. Have you ever been out there with no gloves on? With metal tools in your hands. 
Oh, man, I don't like that experience. Do you? You ever had to be outside and, you, and the gloves, they're just getting in the way. I can't, I can't do this with the gloves on, so I've got to take the gloves off. And I've got maybe a, a crescent wrench or something in my hands and, I, and I'm working on this thing. And your hands are freezing. And, 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 and then you can't feel them. Or can you? You can't feel them. They're numb. But you feel something, right? What do you feel? Pain. They're dead for all the intents and purposes for anything good. But you can sure feel the pain of it. So you're out there doing this, and you whack your knuckles, and you're like, yeah, and then there's blood coming down, but I've got to finish the job, and so you're, you're doing this. And, and, and what have you experienced? Your, your hands are numb, but you can still feel the pain. And I'm thinking about the world. You know, the Bible says that when we are a new creation, old has gone and the new has come, and then all the, the, God, the, 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 the world's influence on us is not what it... What it once was, well, that's true, but it still has an influence, doesn't it? I wish I were dead to the world, and I wish the world were dead to me. When I boast in the cross, the world holds no sway for me, and I am not swayed by the world. So I might become numb, but I can still feel its pain, the pain that draws me, the pain that captures my attention, the pain that would direct me. But you know what? The more I glory in the cross, the more my focus is on, is on my Savior, the more I feast upon what I know to be gospel truths in the Bible, the less sway the world holds on me because I see the fruitlessness of what it offers here in Romans chapter 6, take a look at verses 6 and 7. God's word says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be, what? Enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been, what? Set free from sin. Look a little further down in the passage at verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? When you say, you're my master, you become a slave, right? He's just making a common sense statement. He goes on and says, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were, past tense, once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and have been set free from sin, having become what? Slaves, slaves of righteousness. What is Paul trying to convey here? He's trying to convey the fact that we no longer have a master that has a right to rule over us unless we surrender ourselves to it. Unless we say, you have a right to rule over me, sin cannot dominate me. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, do not blame your mommy or your daddy for your sin. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, don't blame the spousey. Don't blame your parents, don't blame your kids, don't blame your co-workers, don't blame your neighbors, don't blame the guy driving in the car next to you, don't blame the person that, 
that slams into you. If you sin, that's on you. Why? Sin no longer has a right to rule over me. I am no longer a slave to sin. Unless I say you have a right to rule over me. Our passions can be strong. The world's allure can be difficult. But mastery, mastery, it's been broken. What influences us has been changed. We are no longer slaves of sin. We've been set free to be servants of God or servants of righteousness. Take a look, please, at 1 Peter chapter 4 because this, this takes this concept and it puts some flesh and bones on it. What 1 Peter chapter 4 does with this very same concept is it, it gives us a real-life illustration with some listing of varieties of sin that used to hold us that no longer need to hold us. In 1 uh, Peter, Peter chapter 4, look beginning at verse 1. Peter writes, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the, in the same way, or with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh. Listen, so to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but instead for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing, the gent uh, doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Listen to verse 4. With respect to this or these things, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. Do, do you know what Peter just said? He said, it is the expectation that a Christian, a redeemed one, would not do these things. The expectation is that we would not allow these things to rule over us. The expectation is that the world will observe the life of the believer and say, why don't you do the things we do? And the answer to that is, we spent enough time there. Enough of my life was invested in the wrong thing. Enough of your life was invested in the wrong thing. Why return to the vomit? The expectation is the gospel influences us so much that those things don't hold, they don't hold a place of influence in us any longer. Paul said it this way in Romans 12 too. You know it. It'll be on the screen. Do not be conformed to this world. Let me stop here. Conformed, the idea is putting something on. Don't put on these things. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind 
that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What he's telling us is that let the God who saved you be transforming you from the inside out. He doesn't say transform yourself. He doesn't say make seven or eight lists of things that you ought not do and just you know pull yourself up by your bootstraps and don't do them. He says don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed. That is an external thing. That is a passive thing. That is a divine activity. Be transformed. What is the active part? By the renewing of your mind. Well, what renews our mind? Scripture. What do I have to do in order to have that take place? Open it and look at it. <laughs> open it and look at it. I would say, open it, look at it, meditate on it, memorize it, study it. Hear it. Speak it. These things take place, and you know what you'll find? The world is becoming more and more dead to me, and I am becoming more and more dead to it. It has nothing to offer us. Why do we glory only in the gospel? Well, first of all, because the flesh profits nothing. Secondly, because the gospel changes what influences us. Head back, please, to Galatians chapter 6. We will notice the third reason why we only glory in the gospel. And the third reason is this. The gospel is the means of new life. The gospel is the means of new life. It is the way toward new life. It is the instrument that God uses to give us new life. He says in verse 15, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision. Will you read the rest of the verse with me? But a new creation! A new creation! Circumcision doesn't do it. Uncircumcision doesn't do it. Baptism doesn't do it. Not being baptized doesn't do it. Going to church doesn't do it. Not going to church doesn't do it. A new creation. A new creation is what I need in order for my affections to be influenced by the cross rather than the world. The gospel is the means of new life. A new creation. How does one become a new creation? Well, I'm so glad you asked. God's word answers that question very clearly. We're in Galatians. Take a left. Just one book. To 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I made reference to this verse already this morning. In verse 17. Where Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. How do I become a new creation? Well, I must be in Christ. Verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Who's that talking about? So that... In him, we might become the righteousness of God. In him, we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus died in the cross to bear our sin, even though he never committed any sin. So he might grant to us a righteousness we never earned. A righteousness we never performed. A righteousness that is outside of us. 
The Bible says in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we what? Must be saved. It's Christ. Through Christ we must be saved. Take a look at the book of John. We're in 2 Corinthians. You're going to head through 1 Corinthians, Romans, Acts, and you'll find the book of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 1. Part of the prologue of John's Gospel, he writes in verse 12, But to all who did receive him, that means those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were what? Does that sound like a new creation? It does, doesn't it? Who were born... Not of blood. Oh, what kind of creation are we talking about? Not a physical one, but a spiritual one. Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. In other words, I can't act something out and obtain this. Nor of the will of man. Uh-oh. Now I can't even wish for it. Sounds like we're in a bit of trouble. Oh, except it says, but of God. What does he mean, but of God? The will of God. The will of God. Those who believe according to the will of God. You want to become a new creation. The answer is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. This is a result of God's working. It is not a result of our working. It is not a result of our desires. It is a result of God's desires. And just for your information, since he's God, he gets what he wants. His desires are for his glory and our good. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. You want to become a new creation. It's only by being in Christ. We find ourselves in Christ by trusting Christ and what he has done. I recognize I'm a sinner. Yes? You a sinner? Do I recognize the consequences of that sin? The wages of sin is death. Now, not just physical death, because that's that everyone goes that way, right? Everyone goes that way. Death has a very strong record of winning. There are only a few people in history that didn't die. And you wouldn't know about them except for this book, right? Enoch, Elijah, that's it. That's it. Jesus died. He rose again. Everyone dies. The wages of sin is not simply physical death. It's eternal, <clears throat> eternal death. It is a death that is the exact opposite of eternal life. Eternal life is in the presence of God, in his glory, in his joy, Forever. Well, eternal death is the opposite. 
It's outside of God, outside of joy, outside of glory. In fact, it's the absolute opposite. It is torment and punishment. The wages of sin is death. God takes sin so seriously that in order to deal with my sin and yours, he sent his glorious, perfect son out of his immediate heavenly presence. And Jesus took on flesh and became a vulnerable and needy baby. He was subject to physical laws of hunger and thirst and weariness. He was subject to the laws of nations. He was subject to the law of God. He was subject to the will of God. Jesus humbled himself. Because of my sin. Because of my sin. Jesus left the glory of heaven and experienced torture when he was crucified. That's physical. And torture when he became sin for me. Torture. I have no idea. I can't even even comprehend what it's like to go from sinless to sin in a moment as God placed the sin, my sin, and the sin of every believer upon Christ. And meted out divine, righteous justice for that sin. And so Jesus spiritually was tormented. Why? Because God takes sin seriously. He does not just pass over sin. He is not just a benevolent, loving God who overlooks sin. He deals with sin. His love sent Jesus to the cross to bear the weight of my sin and yours. Our sin is serious. I have, I've got to understand what my sin did. And then I have to understand what Jesus did by placing himself in my place on the cross to bear my sin and the judgment and condemnation for my sin so that when he rose again and I trust him, my sin is removed, his righteousness is given, and I become what? A new creation. This is no small deal. This is why we glory in the cross alone. This is why we glory in the gospel alone. Because the flesh profits nothing, because the gospel changes what influences us, and because the gospel is the means of new life. Finally, as we come to the end of Galatians chapter 6, head back there please, Galatians chapter 6, the gospel changes our relationship with God. The gospel changes our relationship with God. It says, beginning in verse 16, And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. What a fitting and glorious conclusion. Those 
Those who know that their access to heaven is only by means of the cross. That's all who walk by this rule. What is this rule? Our boast is only in the cross. Those who know that their access to heaven is only through the cross have experienced, first of all, peace with God and peace from God. Peace with God and peace from God. We, you know the term reconciliation, right? Two parties that are at enmity and somehow something needs to mediate to make these two parties back in a, or in, in our case, for the first time, in a position, in a relationship of peace. Reconciliation is taking two parties and making them united. How are we reconciled? Through the blood of the cross. What caused the hostility? Our sin caused the hostility. Who dealt with the hostility? Jesus Christ dealt with the hostility through his death on the cross. For a reference to that, you can look up later. You can, you can look up Ephesians 2, 13 through 18. It speaks beautifully of the fact that Christ's blood has brought us into a position of a relationship of peace with God. Those who glory only in the cross have peace with God. Secondly, we have experienced the mercy of God. The mercy of God. Mercy is related to the removal of our sin and the removal of the guilt and condemnation that our sin deserves. We just talked about it, so I will not reiterate it. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, Peter is opening his letter and, and he's just giving praise to God. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. He goes on. He's caused us to be born again. According to his great mercy. And, and the New King James has his abundant mercy, which I really like that rendering. His abundant mercy. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that God is rich, rich, in mercy, because of his great love which with, uh, with which he has loved us. The gifts of peace and mercy are for all, for all who walk by this rule. What is this rule? Boasting only in the cross. Then it says at the end of verse 16, and not only those who walk by this rule, but and upon the Israel of God. So you can read that two ways. You can read it as two different parties. All who walk by this rule and also the Israel of God. That's one way of reading it. Another way of reading it uh, appropriately from a grammatical standpoint is all who walk by this rule, even the Israel of God. In other words, the two groups that are mentioned are one group. That's two ways you can read it. Um, our, com our, our translators most of them stay out of it. They usually just say, and. The Holman Christian Standard Bible has even. Even. Because it is a legitimate grammatical construction. It can be and or even. The word is chi. It can mean and also even. For, for illustration of it, I want to give you two illustrations of how that can be used. In, uh, in Acts 16.31, the Bible says this. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Listen, you and your household. Now, we know that that's not you, even your households, right? 
it's you and your household as well. Two different groups. You're united, right? But like you don't get saved and the rest of the family gets saved because you did, right? It's you and also your household. That's, that's a grammatical construction where the and means and. All right. Now, another illustration in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 where the word and means even. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are there two of them? How many of them are there? Just one. God, even your Father. You'll notice how the translators again stayed out of it. They just translated it. You figure it out on your own. That's good. I appreciate that about translators. I don't want their interpretation so much um, as they can stay out of it. Uh, but this one means clearly, God, even your Father. So both of those are illustrations of how this could be read. We're going to get to it. Don't stress. Don't sit there worried in your seat. What is he going to say next? Or maybe do that. I don't know. I also want to, to point out, this is not the and conversation. Now, he's using an, an illustration now. He's saying, this is true. This peace and this mercy, I want to come upon all who walk by this rule and upon the, uh, the Israel of God. I want to show you that there are times in God's word where they use a, an expression just to say, this is kind of like this. For instance... We read this passage earlier in Philippians chapter 3 in verse 3. For we are the circumcision. Sit there and think on that one for a little bit. Is he being literal right now? Are you a circumcision? Let's say no, you are not. That would be kind of weird, right? But he is saying the circumcision are the grouping of God's people, right? And he says we are God's people. He uses that word circumcision as kind of an illustration of saying, this is, we are the people of God. Okay? For we, we are, I just lost my place in my notes. Thank you, iPad. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So, with that background of grammar out of the way, however you translate or interpret Galatians 6.16, it does not solve the theological differences between those who see a distinction between the church as presented in the Old Testament and the people of Israel as pictured in the Old Testament. I say Old Testament, sorry. Church pictured in the New Testament, Israel pictured in the Old Testament. Okay? It doesn't solve this problem. What I want to do is talk through this for a couple of minutes because it's important. We were in this text and we need to deal with it. What is not in question in this text? Okay? And what is not in question in the Bible? This is important. Ready? Jews who trust Christ right now are part of the church. Galatians 3 leaves no doubt. There are other texts as well that leave no doubt. That's not in question. Number two. Jews before Christ are saved by grace through faith based upon the work of Jesus Christ. Because they are justified by the work of Jesus Christ, they are united with Him. They are part of God's eternal church. That is not in question. Some people question that. I'm telling you, that's not in question. Number three, what is also not in question, 
all the redeemed of all the ages will be in Christ. Ephesians 1.10. That is not in question. Is that clear? What is in question and where the disagreement uh, comes is does God have a continuing plan to redeem and restore ethnic Israel and to fulfill in them and for them the promises of a literal and physical kingdom on this earth? That's in question. That is where there's a disagreement amongst people. What I will tell you first of all is we will not solve or resolve this matter this morning. Secondly, this passage in Galatians chapter 6 does not answer the question. If this is your argument, you're on shaky ground. That is not an answer to the dilemma. From my theological perspective. So now I'm giving you my opinion. This is not without question. This is what I believe the scriptures say. You can rightly and finally disagree. And we will have lovely fellowship together. From my theological perspective, I believe that the statement in Romans 11.29, the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable, is referring to God's faithfulness to fulfill his promises to ethnic Israel. That's what I believe. Um, you don't have to agree. It's okay. The Bible leaves this area with ample room for us to say, you see it that way, I see it this way, and it's all right. We have um, people among us that believe differently than I do, and I love them and respect them. I have commentators that I will read, and I disagree with them. I still love what they're offering to us with their commentaries. I will listen to people on the radio. I don't listen to the radio very much, but I'll go on people's websites. For instance, I go regularly onto Truth For Life and listen to Alistair Begg. He and I disagree on this matter. I could not love that man more without knowing him. I couldn't. I, when I listen to him preaching God's word, I'm literally sitting there and just saying, yes, 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 I need this. Give me more. I need it. I love it. Because he's teaching the truth. We disagree in this area. And you know what? I'm going to listen to him again tomorrow. And I commend you to listen to him. I don't commend very many people to listen to. He is one. All right. I think we covered that enough for this morning. Verse 17. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. I will just say... In, in other words, Paul just said, this issue, this issue of a fleshly pursuit of a right relationship with God is resolved. <laughs> is that what he just said? Don't bother me with this anymore. You want to mark my physical body? I have the marks. But not, in addition to those marks, I have other marks that are more important to me. Other than circumcision marks, I have the marks of Jesus. Don't trouble me anymore with it, for I bear marks 
proving, listen carefully, proving my commitment to, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, based on Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone, I bear in my body the marks, the, the first reformation is what Paul was dealing with. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, Scripture alone, God's glory alone. This is what he stands for, and he bears the marks. So also does Jesus. Those whose only boast is in the cross have experienced the peace of God and peace from God, They've experienced the mercy of God. And finally, they've experienced the grace of God. Verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. What a fitting conclusion to this letter. God's grace is the pathway to salvation and sanctification. God's grace is experienced by all who trust the gospel alone. This is why there is no place for boasting in ourselves. Not only do we come to Christ as beggars, we live our lives every day as beggars. God, I can't. Jesus has, and Jesus can in me. This is, this is the good news of Galatians. It's not just that Jesus did it for you, now move on. It's Jesus did it for you. Move on in the confidence that your standing with God is assured and that he will continue his work of making you like himself as you yield yourself to him. That's grace. Grace is God's empowerment toward salvation, in salvation, toward sanctification, in sanctification, Toward glorification and in glorification. It's all a work of God's grace. There is only room to boast in the God of the cross of Jesus Christ. That is the book of Galatians in seven verses, eight verses, 11 to 18. The book of Galatians is summarized right here. And what is that summary? Boast only in the gospel that belongs to God. He is the source and finisher of that gospel. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. We ask, we ask for your power even in this moment. Father, I don't know what anyone in here is struggling with. You do. Maybe they don't even know what they're struggling with. Maybe they don't know why the world has such a pull on them. Or why they have no confidence that your, your work is a finished work. I don't know, Father, you know. And they, they, I pray that you would open, open our eyes to see what we need to hear and understand right now. I pray for anyone in this room that's never trusted Jesus Christ as the only and full means of their redemption.
pray, Father, that even in this, these next few moments, you might, might open their eyes fully, that they might see the glory of the cross and why we hold the cross up as most important and why the gospel is so important. I pray, Father, you would open their eyes to see Jesus Christ as the solution to their sin problem and their relationship with you. We pray that you might open their eyes that they would trust Jesus alone for their salvation and be saved. Father, I pray for believers in this room, myself included, that we would not allow the world to hold sway over us, that we would not allow the world to dictate to us what we need and want. Help us to boast and glory in the cross and cause the world to be dead to us with its affections and lusts and us to be dead to the world so that our passions aren't there. Deliver us. We ask, Father, that you would cause us to long for you, to love you, and then to display you and to speak of you in this world that needs you desperately. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.